want to welcome you guys again to this 4th of July weekend. Uh, delighted that you're here to worship the Lord with us. Had a great uh, full class of new members even in July this morning. And so we uh, welcome you guys again for uh, coming and being a part of our church family. My name is Danny Forshee and been the pastor here now for a little over nine years. And if you're new to Great Hills, we're currently in a study uh, we're calling it Church on the Move, and it's based on the book of Acts. And what we're doing is we're studying uh, the whole book of Acts, from Acts 1-1 all the way into Acts 28. And so we invite you to turn with us to Acts chapter 4 today. And we're going to read verses 23 through uh, 31. And before we do, though, I just want to take a moment and just say a, a word of blessing over you. And it just encourage you, and, and maybe the Holy Spirit's encouraging me, as he did Terry a moment ago, to share scripture that I'm not necessarily going to be preaching on today, but let me, let me just pray for you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and just let me, let me share this word with you. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in the Lord so that you will overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 15, 13, Paul says in, Roman, in Ephesians 1, 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power in us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Thank you, God. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here with us and allowing us the freedom and the joy to be able to come to Great Hills Baptist Church, members and guests alike to come and to worship you, to pray to you, to make our petitions known unto you. And God, before we do that, we do just want to tell you again and again, Lord, how much we love you. We appreciate you, God. We adore you. Every breath that we breathe, every gift that we receive is from your generous, benevolent hands. And so, God, we praise you and we bless your name. And we do petition, God. We pray. We pray for those in our midst today that, and that are struggling or suffering Maybe a physical uh, suffering, Lord, or financial difficulty, or perhaps something in their marriage or their job or their home or physical health, whatever it is, God, I, I lift that to you today. The omniscient God that you are, that you know everything, I'm praying for our people here at Great Hills Baptist Church, for the favor of God upon us, the blessings of God upon us in every, in every realm of blessing, God, we pray for it. And we receive it, Lord, because we receive it in Jesus' name. And we thank you, Lord, that you are a God of justice, a God of holiness, a God of love, a God of compassion. And so we are your servants, and we just humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. God, that you would lift us up and that you would empower us, even as you did the early church, Lord. Empower us, embolden us, so that we would live this life, God, that you've called us to live. That we would speak the words of life that we would be an encouragement to everybody, Lord, that we come in contact with. We love you and we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. So I was reading an article by Ed Stetzer. It's an interesting title. It's called The Fear, The Herd, and The Witness. The Fear, The Herd, and The Witness. And his article is based upon a quote by a man by the name of Bertrand Russell. Now, it's not every day or every Sunday that a preacher will quote uh, Bertrand Russell, a noted atheist. But Bertrand Russell said this, collective fear stimulates the herd instinct, and it tends to produce ferocity toward those who are not regarded as members of the herd. And so there's this fear 
and a herd mentality that is antagonistic or ferocious against those who are not a part of the herd. And Stetzer goes on to say, we have to be careful about this in the church. He said, oftentimes we fear the unchurched. And he has some interesting statistics, he said, based on Lifeway research, he said, 45% of the unchurched say this about us as Christians. Christians get on my nerves. <laughs> so that's what they said about us. 70% said the church is full of a bunch of, y'all help me, hypocrites. And Ed Stetzer says this somewhat comically, come to think of it, 44% of Christians get on my nerves too. And I'm a hypocrite 72% of the time. He says, that's the bad news. The good news is that our unchurched friends and neighbors, most of whom would be open to an invitation to visit your church or your Bible study or to have a gospel a conversation, if we would just speak to them, not fear them, not huddle up into a herd and stiff arm them, but reach out and lovingly share with them the good news. When I read the New Testament, especially this amazing book of Acts, that Luke wrote, the good Dr. Luke, the first-rate historian around AD 63, he writes about the birth, the birth of the church in Acts 1.14. Remember, it began in a prayer meeting, a prayer movement, and then like a mighty conflagration, a fire across a prairie. It just begins to develop and grow and just exponentially just move out into the whole known world. And the way it did this, and the way the church takes much ground today is that the people of God are emboldened by the Spirit of God we have not feared. The Bible says God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And with kindness and with compassion and boldness and passion, we go out and we live the life and we speak the words of life even as the early church did. So I want to read the text to you today. It's Acts chapter 4. I'll begin reading in verse 23, and we'll conclude with verse 31, which is, I know I say this a lot, but it really is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. And, and you'll understand why in a moment when I read and share with you some things that are on my heart today about shaking the place. That's the title of our sermon today, shaking the place. Verse 23 says, and being let go. Now, if you're new to us today, this would refer to the Sanhedrin who incarcerated briefly but interrogated fiercely the early church, the leaders. That would be Peter and John. But the Sanhedrin really found no egregious fault against them. They'd done nothing wrong. They had been preaching the gospel and people were being saved and healed. And so uh, they, they were feeling the power leave them. And so the religious Sanhedrin, the aristocracy, they captured them and they interrogated them, but then they let them go. And as soon as they let them go, notice what they, the antecedent for they would be Peter and John. They went to their companions. I love that. They went back to their church and they reported all that the chief priest and the elders, that's another name for Sanhedrin, had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God. Isn't that sweet? They came back to the church and in unison, in one accord, well, what did that look like? I don't know. 
Did, did they all just raise their voice and sing a song of praise to God? Or maybe one or two of them just lifted up their voice. Maybe one person just began to verbalize what you'll read with me in a moment is a prayer. It goes from verse 24 to verse uh, 30. And let me read the prayer to you. It goes like this. They raised their voice to God with one accord, with much unity and much passion. Watch this. They said, despotus, Lord, despot, you are God. You made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. They continue to pray in verse 25. You, God, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Psalm 1, Look at this, Psalm chapter two, verses nine, 10. Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? Again, Psalm two, verses one and two. Why did the nations rage and the people plot van, vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord Yahweh and against his Christos, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. Now, wait a minute. This was written by David, Psalm 2, 1 and 2, a thousand years before the time of Christ. And the early church sees the fulfillment of the prophecy of David in Psalm 2, 1 and 2 at this very moment in Jerusalem in the first century. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, they were gathered together to do, oh goodness, verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. In other words, God, none of this caught you by surprise. You are the all-knowing, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, despot Lord God creator of heaven and earth and the sea and everything that is in them. These things that have happened to Jesus, the anointed, the Messiah, did not catch you by surprise, God. In fact, it was in the mind and the heart of God from all time, eternity, past, present, and future. The, the Lamb of God, Revelation 13, 8, slain before the foundation of the world. This is deep. This is powerful. The early church, by the way, they're just so saturated with good theology, it comes out of their prayers. And so it says in verse 28, God, whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, curios, not despotus, but curios. Lord, look on their threats. Remember there, that would be the Sanhedrin. Look on their threats. And Lord, would you please annihilate them and destroy them and kill every one of those sorry scoundrels? I'm sorry, that's, I'm sorry, that's, that's, a, that's another book. I'm not, I'm, that's another whole book. I, I'm sorry, I, I misread that. That is exactly what they did not pray. They did not pray, God, annihilate our enemies. They said, God, grant us boldness that we'll continue to speak to our enemies. Wow, what a prayer. What spiritual fortitude and boldness. These guys have been interrogated threatened within an inch of their life. If you speak in this name of Jesus, one more time, guys, it's gonna be, it's gonna be bad. We're gonna do a whole lot of bodily harm to you. And as soon as they get back to the church, they said, oh God, grant us boldness that we would speak your word and we would not be intimidated at all. Wow, what a prayer. Stretch out your hand, oh God, not for pain on our enemies, but to heal. Signs and wonders be done, oh God, through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, 
when they had prayed, now the prayer's over, right? Begins in verse 23, it ends in verse 30. And Luke records this. He said, now when they had prayed, the following things happened. The place where they were assembled together was shaken, physically shaken. The place, the house, I believe, that it was the upper room. I think they've gone back to Acts 1.14 and they are in the upper room and, and there's a small gathering of them. I know the church is exploding in growth, but they don't want to all congregate together. Why? Well, that would bring the authorities to them. So they're with their, their, their peeps. They're with one another and they're praying and they're pouring out their hearts to God. First of all, they're praying prayers of, of praise and, and lift, oh God, you're the creator of the heavens and the earth. And then they make their, their petition, right? Oh, that's a great way to live the Christian life. Praise first, petition second. And then the place was physically shaken. Number two, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Ooh, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of power, the Spirit of anointing. And then, notice what they did. They spoke. They spoke the Word of God. And not only did they speak it, but they spoke it with boldness. So today, I want us to look at this text. This wonderful text. It's, it contains a prayer. And so we're going to first begin with that prayer. Let's, let's study that prayer together. Number one, it is a prayer of praise. When you look at verse 23, you cannot help but sense the jubilation, right? The exhilaration. I would say the sheer ecstasy of Peter and John. They, they return, they give a good report. In my mind's eye, they have run away from the Sanhedrin. They made their way to the upper room. They're breathless and they're just like, oh, guys, oh, listen. Listen to this, guys. Listen, listen, listen. You will not believe what God has done. God has delivered us out of the hands of our enemies. And when they said that, oh, the church, they just began to praise the Lord. And they began to just say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for delivering our brothers from the jaws of death, from those who would persecute them. One writer says this about persecution. He says it served as a catalyst for the early church as it built unity among the people of God. Think about that for a moment. Persecution and hard times served as a catalyst around which the early church was galvanized and gathered together. And, and by the way, that's what persecution does. That's what hard times do. They can either drive us away from God or they can drive us to our knees to God and the people of God. And one writer put it like this. He said, perhaps one reason for the disunity in today's church is the lack of pressure or the lack of persecution. We've got it really good, don't we? I mean, if you think about it, we, we've got it amazingly well. I mean, here we are in the greatest nation in the history of mankind. We have all these freedoms, we have all these blessings and, and the favor of God, the prosperity that God has granted unto us. It makes us, it should make us want to just say, oh God, praise be to your name. Verse 24 says, when they heard the good report, they raised their voice in one accord. And again, I, I, I'm trying to capture for you this, this moment when they're so excited, they're exhilarated, and then they begin to pray, oh God, 
thank you, thank you. I got a little glimpse of this years ago when I went to the country of Belarus. I've been to Belarus twice now on a mission trip. And if you look on the map, Belarus is like here, Ukraine is here, and you got big Russia the bear here, okay? If you remember 1986, Chernobyl. Now, I remember that year very well because that's the year Ashley and I got married. In 1986, the Chernobyl in Ukraine, it's, it's right there. Uh, on the border of Belarus and the Ukraine, okay? This nuclear plant melted down and the radiation, the fumes of that just saturated the land and it was devastating. One of the pastors that, uh, Terry, you and I met with Pastor Leonid, he told us if, as we toured, they still would not let you go beyond a certain barrier. It was, it was sectioned off. And this was a few years ago. They still wouldn't even let you go into that, that territory. He told us that uh, what happened when that meltdown happened, that Russia actually sent planes to bomb the area so that it would force the fumes, the toxic nuclear fumes would force it onto Belarus and it wouldn't come to Moscow. And that's what happened. And when those fumes and radiation and nuclear waste I mean, it just devastated this whole area. And there was a pastor by the name of Ivan. Pastor Ivan, he had a little church there in, in the Belarus area, very, very close to Chernobyl. And they said, sir, you got to get out of here. I mean, this is devastating. This is damaging. It could damage you, your health and your family. And you need to flee. He said, I will not flee. He said, I'm going to stay here. My people can't flee. I'm the pastor of this church and I'm not going to go anywhere and I'm going to stay here in my home and I'm going to stay here in my church and I'm going to minister to the best of my ability and if it takes my life, it takes my life. Don't you love pastors like that? Pastor Ivan. And so later on, a group from Germany, some engineers with their Geiger counters, they came and they were surveying there. When you heard that, man, it's like, whoa, stay away. There's all kinds of fumes and radiation and nuclear waste. And they, when they went to Pastor Ivan's home and they went to his church, they did the Geiger counter and it detected nothing. N nothing. Now I'm talking about it was saturated. The whole area has been engulfed with nuclear waste. And he just sat there and he just said, praise be to God. Now, stories like that just, man, it just blesses us and encourages us. And so can you imagine when that happened and pastor and his wife, they, they ran to the church and, and they called a prayer meeting and they said, guys, you won't believe, you won't believe it. Our home has no nuclear waste. Our church has been protected by God. What do you think they did? I believe with all my heart, they did what the early church did and they lifted up praise and thanksgiving to God. Verse 24 says, they prayed, Lord, you are God. And again, it's not kurios, which is the common name for Lord, but it's the Greek word despotos. Now, I know what you're thinking. Whenever you hear the word despot today, you think of a tyrannical leader, a despot, somebody who rules with an, with an iron fist. But this word is used, despotus, of God six times in the Bible. And what it connotes or what it should connote in our mind and in our heart is not this reigning monarch who is mean and cruel. Think of it like this, as this absolute sovereign ruler. And that's who they are praying to. They're saying, God, you did this. Peter and John, Lord, we, we thought for sure 
They might not be even coming out, Lord, alive. But by the way, John would go on to live another 66 years. Peter would go on to live another 36 years. Here's what I found. When you're in the will of God and in the hand of God, nothing can touch you. God is sovereign. He is in control. Now, by the way, when I say that, do not go run across Jollyville, dodging traffic, saying, I can't be touched. God is with me. No, God can give us a lot of things. He just can't give us common sense sometimes. So let's don't do that, all right? But they're like, no, Lord, you have delivered us. And we, and here's Great Hills. This is what I want you to catch now. They are praising God, okay? Way before they're going to petition God, they're still in the midst of praising God. The early church is praising God, acknowledging him first before they petition him. God be praised instead of God give me something. Can I say that again? God be praised before God would you give me something. And notice they appealed to God the creator. I love this. Not by accident. In verse 24 it says, God, you are Lord, God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. It reminds me of Psalm 100, verses 3 and 4. This psalm of praise of David, I know, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us. We did not make us. God made us and not ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates. Say it, church, with what? Thanksgiving, keep going, and into his courts with what? Praise, keep going. Be thankful to him and what? Bless his name. That's what the early church is doing. They are entering into the very presence of God. And they're not going, Lord, help me now. What's going on here? We're persecuted. Things are really bad. Why don't you do something, God? No, they're saying, oh, God be praised. Lord, thank you that you, God, you created the heavens and the earth and the sea. And God, surely you are the Lord, the sovereign one of this universe. You created it. And God, we just want you to know something. We absolutely love you and praise your glorious name. It also reminds me of Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. Again, God is attributed as the creator. He says, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Okay, so let's give me handles on the side. For you created all things, and by your will they exist, and they were not evolved over eons and billions of years, but they were created by a brilliant mind, a super intelligent, glorious being, the Lord God Almighty. And by the way, God appreciates and enjoys it when we attribute to him what he has done. When you say, thank you, Lord. It's kind of like me with my kids when we were raising our, our, our children many moons ago now. And our, our kids, when they just come to you, Dad, I just love you. Or dad, I just want to sit in your lap. And I'm like, okay, you want some ice cream? Or what is it? You want another, you want a toy? No, I, we just want to hang out with you. And as an earthly father, you know how that made me feel? I'm like, man, this is cool. Now, would y'all want to get some ice cream? I'm, I'm wanting to bless them because they were just wanting to be in my presence because they love me. And this is the same way with God, just coming to him saying, God, thank you. You are the creator of everything. Verse 25, they praise God for his sovereignty in the way that he spoke through David. Remember that? In Psalm 2, 1 and 2, it's direct quotes. They plotted against you, God. The kings, they took their stand and the rulers gathered against your Christ. Let me, let me 
share with you what I believe are the kings and the rulers and the peoples. As Psalm 2, 1 and 2 is being fleshed out before their very eyes. The nations are the Gentile nations, particularly Rome and the Jews. Yes, the people, that it would be Israel. The kings of the earth, that would be Herod Antipas. And just like Herod the Great, Herod Antipas was persecuting the people of God and persecuting the Christ. And remember Pontius Pilate. I think those are the key players. Those are the people when it says, why did the nations rage? The people plotted a vain thing. The kings of the earth, they took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. And by the way, not only did that happen in the first century, that is going to happen again at a future date when the kings of this earth and the people of this world in Revelation 19 are going to rise up under the authority of the Antichrist and his false prophet and that unholy trinity of devil, Antichrist, and false prophet, they're going to amass the people and they're going to lift up and clenched fist and defy God and rage against him and seek to destroy him and Jesus Christ comes again and as Martin Luther says, one little word shall fail them. Yeah, it's happened and it's going to happen again. Let me tell you something, we need not fear, we need not get in some herd mentality and be scared because this is the truth. God is sovereign, God is in control. He will not be thwarted, he will not be intimidated, he will accomplish his will no matter what. You and I should take joy in that and we should take courage in that that God reigns and his will will be done on earth, praise God as it is in heaven. So the early church, they're praying and they're worshiping God and thanking God. In verse 27, Luke refers to Jesus as your holy servant. Later on, it says, whom you anointed. Did y'all see that? Truly against your holy servant, whom you anointed. That's interesting. What does that mean? Some people believe the anointing refers to the coming of the Holy Spirit upon Jesus at his baptism. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and He has anointed me. Jesus, your anointed one, the Messiah, He came and He taught and He healed and He helped and He saved and He did miraculous things. Eventually, He died on the cross. He arose from the dead. This did not catch God the Father by surprise. In fact, God knew it all along. God planned it all along. Isn't that mysterious? Does that not rattle your intelligence today? That we can operate in our own volitions, in our own will, and yet we are accomplishing the ultimate will of God. Whoa. I mean, that is deep. But that's what they're saying in verse 28. They said, God... You, to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. So listen, things may be happening to you and you may be absolutely, utterly confused. You may be thinking, man, what have I done? Have I done something to make God mad? Because man, things are really, really bad and things are really, really hard right now. And maybe is God mad at me? No, it could be that the sovereign God has this tremendous plan. 
And in his plan and in his divine mind, he is allowing things to happen to you that are difficult and painful. But what he's doing is the great potter that he is and we're the clay, he is shaping us and he's molding us and he's conforming us to the image of his son, Jesus. And he is doing this all for his glory. Now, again, I'm preaching a whole lot more than I know right now. Because we're talking about the deep things of God, the sovereignty of God, the mind of God that is so much greater and stronger. Everybody knows what Romans 8.28 says. But what about Romans 8.29? Those for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So God is doing this work. And the early church is like, Lord, you are in control. None of this catches you by surprise. The eternal plan of the ages was for the Son of God to die for the sins of the world. Wow. The royal son of Psalm 2 is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, who is the Christ. I just, I just got to say this. Who is this for, Lord? Who is this for? If God so meticulously worked out his divine, divine plan. Don't you think God can take care of whatever you're dealing with right now? If God can be this big, this sovereign, that in, the, in, in the mind and the heart of God, for his son to die, and shed his blood and be resurrected from the dead. The creator, the sustainer, the all providential, all wise God. Listen now guys, this is pretty big stuff, don't you think? This is big heady stuff. And if God did that, surely God can take care of whatever you are going through right now, right here, this very day. I don't know who that was for. And God really put that on my heart to share that with you. Okay. That's the praise portion of the prayer. Now they're actually going to get to the petition part. The petition is verses 29 and 30. This is the part where they ask God for things, okay? Verses 23 through 28, they didn't ask for anything. They're just praising the Lord, unlike our prayers, right? First thing we do is, okay, hello, Lord, it's me. Now, I need you to be helping me, Lord. That's what we do. I know, I know we're just tempted to do that. But I want to help you do a better thing instead of saying, God, please help, help, deliver, deliver, do this, do that. Just take a minute and say, God, be praised. Thank you, Lord, that you are the sovereign God of the universe, the creator of heaven and the earth. You know all things. And then begin your prayer. Yes, I'm talking about adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and then petition or supplication. Now, Lord, look on their threats. And grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. That is just absolutely astonishing. Lord, look on their threats. We're we're not denying the threats. We're not denying reality. We're not so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. Now, we're in trouble here. And we know when we go out of this place and start speaking your name, we're going to be tempted to not speak your name. Because they are going to intimidate us, they're going to threaten us within an inch of our life, and they already told us, Lord, they're gonna gonna probably bodily harm us. So here's our prayer, oh God. When we leave this prayer meeting, and we leave this holy sanctuary, oh God, in Jesus' name, give us boldness. Boldness, oh God 
to live for you, to speak your name. And no matter what my colleagues say, no matter what my friends may say, no matter what my neighbors may, they may think I'm the craziest, most bizarre person in this world. Don't you know educated people don't think like that, believe like, hey God, please help me, Lord, that in that moment, I will not deny you, God, but I will be bold. That's my prayer. I hope it's your prayer. That was Paul's prayer. The greatest Christian who ever lived in Ephesians 6 said, and Lord, give me boldness. Why? Because we are intimidated. We do get fearful. We do get worried. And we do are afraid of like, well, what is this going to, how is this going to come across, Lord, if I speak your name? I, okay, I just won't speak your name. I'll just pray for him. I'll just, I'll just pray for him. And the Lord says, no, be bold. And you can do this. I will, I will help you. They did not ask God to execute vengeance, but they said, Lord, look upon them. And now, curios, give us boldness. One writer says this, their concern was for God's word to go forth. Stay with me. For God's word to go forth and for Christ's name to be glorified, leaving to God himself their own circumstances. Instead of us praying in precatory prayers of condemnation and vengeance, oh, get them, Lord, just spank them, just take them out, Lord. No, maybe we should just say, God, you are the judge. We're just going to praise you and we're, going to, we're just going to ask you that your will would be done and that, Lord, we would be bold. I'm currently reading a, a novel. I haven't read James Patterson before, but I'm, I'm reading this, this novel and it's, yeah, he's really, really good. And in fact, he has made $750 million writing fictional stories. He makes $90 million a year, James Patterson. So I'm reading his book, and I'm going, who is this guy, by, by the way? I know, I'm sorry, I, I, I've read lots of novels. And stuff. I just haven't read him yet, but now I'm reading it, and it's very fascinating. And, and so I said, well, who is this James Patterson guy? And I begin to research. He sold more books than... Stephen King, Dan Brown, and some other famous author, all of those people combined. And Stephen King was being interviewed about James Patterson. And Stephen King said, yeah, he's a terrible writer. And I thought, that was pretty interesting. I was on the Colbert or one of those late night shows says, yeah, he's, he's a terrible writer. And, the, and he made some condescending mark like, yeah, he'll write a whole novel in like, two hours or 12 hours. I mean, just being very condescending. And they said, Mr. Patterson, what do you think about that? I thought, oh, it's on like Donkey Kong. It's, man, he's going to pull out the knives and the veins. And James Patterson, he's going he's to rip into Stephen King. And this is what he said. Yeah, I know he says that about me. But what I've decided to do is just the opposite. I'm going to heap praise on him while he persecutes me. Like, wow. And I'm thinking, if he can do that, we can do that. If he can say, I'm, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to get all in the flesh and get angry and upset with my enemy. In fact, I'll just brag on him and how good he is. But wouldn't it be great if God, God can do it. God has the power to do it. Wouldn't it be great if we would receive it? And say, yeah, they talk about me. Or, yeah, I don't particularly like that. Or, yeah, that, that's okay. Bless them. Here's, here's the good traits that I, that I see in them. Lord, they're praying, not execution, not, not vengeance, but God, you, you know what they're doing. You, you take care of that. Lord, just please for me, give me 
boldness. And the third thing is this word proclaim. If you're taking notes, it's verse 31, and it's such a powerful verse, isn't it? And when they had preached, what's wrong with that? I'm sorry. And when they had fellowshiped as good Baptists and had a lot of fried chicken, no, sorry. And when they had, what, anybody? Prayed. Wow. Wow. And when they had prayed, what a prayer meeting. Then the place was shaken. You say shaken like, what do you mean by shaken? The Greek word for that is shaken. The place shook with the power of God. Like Exodus 19, 18, when Mount Sinai shook, the mountain quaked and quavered because, quivered because Almighty God had come down. What about Isaiah 6, 4? In this, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the post of the temple, they shook. I think that's what's happening here. There's this time of the, just the palpable presence of God. I mean, the earth or at least the little room that they are in, it just shakes with the glory of God. Number two, it says, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, like Acts 2, 4, like Acts 4, 8. Here they are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Now, it says, they were all filled. Did y'all see that in verse 31? Not just Peter and John. Oh, yeah, man, those are the preachers, man. Those guys are amazing. I'm sure they're going to get the filling and the anointing and the unction of God. You give it to them, God. Nope, nope, no. Said everybody that prayed had the Holy Spirit of God fill them. And that's God's design for his church today. Not just for Brother Danny to be, whoa, 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 yeah, 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 all excited and go out there and share Jesus with everybody. No, that's not just God's will for me. That's God's will for all of us. And here's the thing, you will do it. And I will do it as long as we have prayed and we're filled with the Spirit of God. That is a good point to say, amen, brother. I don't particularly like what you just said, but I think it's the truth, amen. Listen, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, just like last week we're talking about getting drunk, inebriated, tipsy tops, <laughs> you know, you know I, Pastor, you, were you watching me last night or something? I was, I was filled up, man. I had courage and I spoke a certain way because I was controlled by another, another substance. That's, that's what God desires for you and me by His Spirit. To be so filled and full and invigorated and so that we go out with boldness and we share the gospel and we speak to other people and we will do it. Every one of us will do it this week if we pray and if the Holy Spirit of God is not quenched and not grieved and not put out, I'm you will not be able to shut us up. But the problem is, the problem is we're not filled and we're not praying. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. I remember just a few years ago, there's a True story in this mine, Buckhannon, West Virginia. Twelve men trapped 
260 feet below the surface of the earth. Think about that now. 260 feet. Trapped. Fumes, smoke, solid rock. One guy lived. One of the 12. McCloy is his last name. He lived to tell the true story of what happened in that dungeon. He said there were two men, Martin Toller and Tom Anderson. I don't know what it was about those two guys. They were just not going to give up. Kind of remind me, Matt Worrell, they kind of had this kind of mentality. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to dig out of this rock Hades and I'm going to go see my family again. Come on, guys, let's do it. And they were getting tired and fatigued and they kept chipping away at the rock. And finally, they accepted their fate. They said, we're not going to make it. And so they found some scraps of paper and they began to write goodbye letters. Can you imagine? Write a letter to their wife, to their daughter, to their kids, to their grandkids. I just want you to know I love you very much. I never thought that on this day in January that I would go to work and never see you again. Just know I love you. I hope somehow this note gets to you. And then what Martin Noller did next was absolutely majestic. He said, gentlemen, (laughs) we're not going to make it. But here's what I want you to do. Pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus, say it, men, say it. And they were all like, dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Say it, guys. I know I'm a sinner. And God, I'm about to come into your presence. Say it, men. Say it with me. I'm about to come into your presence. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Go ahead. Tell him. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and save my soul. Come into my heart and save my soul. And all of them prayed the sinner's prayer. And McCloy lived to tell us that true story. And I thought, what? What filling of the Holy Spirit, what courage and boldness he had in the face of death to be able to say, gentlemen, I know the Lord. I'm a follower of Jesus, and there's a place called heaven. Y'all think this is hell? This ain't hell. Hell's a whole lot worse than what we're experiencing right now. Hell is forever. And I want, it's dark and it's horrible and there's an exit. There is a way out and his name is Jesus Christ. Proclaim, praise him, praise him, praise him. Jesus, our blessed redeemer, praise him. And then petition him. Call upon his name. And when you call upon his name, not for vengeance against your enemies, but one of the things you're praying, you're thanking God for deliverance, but now here's what you're doing. God, Give me boldness. I'd ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes as we teach the Word of God today. I don't teach it just for information's sake. I really teach it for a response. And I'm praying that there would be a mighty response from the people of God. Maybe you're listening on our Facebook or our live stream, YouTube or Twitter, or maybe you're just right here right now, or maybe you're going to listen to this in a podcast somewhere. Brother Danny preaches this message from Acts 4, 23 through 20, and not, not for education or entertainment. I am preaching as if I am prosecuting a case 
and you're the jury, you've got to make a decision. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, I'm praying right now in Jesus' name you would receive him. He is your emergency. He is your exit. He is the one that will forgive you of your sins and give you eternal life. Call upon him now. You can pray that prayer that that Noler prayed with his people. Dear Lord Jesus, dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me, oh God. I give you my life. I give you my everything. Come into me, Jesus, and save my soul. That is called the sinner's prayer, appropriately called. And God bless you when you pray that prayer. Let, Let me know about it. Let somebody know so we can baptize you and disciple you and encourage you so that you can live a victorious, vibrant Christian life. Maybe you're here today and you know the Lord. You know Christ is your Savior. Are you filled with His Spirit? Are you praying? Are you sharing your faith? If not, let me encourage you. No. I'm not trying to bludgeon you and beat you over the head with some sacred document. No, I'm just telling you, this is God's design. This is His will. Not just for me to be happy in Jesus and filled with the Spirit and witnessing to people. No, he, he wants that for you too. He wants that for all of us. Maybe we should just pray, God, give us holy boldness. Lord God, I want to pray for our people. God, that this week, somehow, somewhere this week, God, help us tell somebody how good you are, Jesus. Help us to share our testimony. Lord, show us our ones this week. Who is the one, or maybe plural ones, that you will put in our path that we can initiate a gospel conversation? We can say, how can I pray for you? Or, hey, thank you for being my waiter or waitress today. You did a great job. I go to Great Hills Baptist Church. We'd love for you to come. I mean, there's so many ways. Would you just, let me just ask you, would you pray? God, this week, help me be bold. So many of you have come today. I'm I'm so excited, encouraged. And a 4th of July weekend to see a room full of potential new members to Great Hills. We will wrap up this class in a couple of weeks. Then we'll start another one next week. If this is where you feel the Spirit of God compelling you, drawing you, then come. Come and be a part of our church family. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for the freedom of this great country. And Lord, I'm just praying now that you would go with us. God, help us to make these commitments, decisions, and then, Lord, help us to carry them out. Help us to be bold and speak your name. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. We're going to sing a song of praise. How about that? A song of praise and invitation. We invite you to come. Maybe come to the altar and pray or just maybe grab a friend by the hand and say, pray with me or Maybe you just want to come talk to one of these pastors. Whatever your decision is, we invite you. We invite you to come even now.